0: Whether you're in Quakertown, you're here in Southerton, or you're watching online, once again, a big happy Mother's Day to all of you moms and grandmoms and aunts, and any woman who has an impact on a child's life, we want to say that we celebrate you today. And also, what we want you to understand is that we understand that for some of us on Mother's Day, Mother's Day isn't really a day of celebration, but in fact, it's actually a day of sadness, and so we want you to know that we are there for you. If you ever want to talk to us or pray with us after service or reach out and call for us, we want to know that, we Want you to know that we are there for you. Now, we are going to continue in a series that we started and that we're in the middle of called The New Normal. And as we take a look at this series, what we're looking at is the never-changing, ever-changing church. You got that? Never-changing, ever-changing And what we are saying in this series is that depending on our context, depending on the culture around us, our circumstances, the time that we are in, depending on that, there are times when the methods that the church uses, the methods will change. However, the message always remains the same. The message of the gospel, the message of the good news of Jesus will not change. It will always be never changing. And so today, we're going to continue on and take a look at at the church, and we're going to take a look at a letter. But before we do that, I just want to kind of just just say something. I'm like, you ever have one of those days when it's just kind of like, it's like, oh, it's like a bad day, you know? You you get through the day, and you're like, oh, when is this day going to end? Like, it's just one thing after another, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. This is just a bad day, right? You, You have those days? Well, I had one of those days last week, and in the middle of the day, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, oh, when is this day going to end? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know how to get through the rest of this day because it's just like, it's like, oh, you know, you're like one of those oh, kind of days. I go to my mail folder here at Calvary, and in it is just an encouraging note, a little thank you note and a little bit of encouragement and it was from one of you. And I have to be honest, oftentimes you guys will do this to me. You will send a note of encouragement, and for some reason you'll send a note of encouragement just when I need it. So I want to say thank you to you, and especially want to say thank you to Sharon. But I want you to know that today we're going to be reading someone else's mail. Today, we're going to actually be reading a letter of encouragement that was written to a church. We're going to be reading a letter that a man named Peter wrote. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of his closest friends. And he writes this letter to a church that is going through some difficult times, going through some hardship, going through some persecution, going through some trials. And not only that, Peter writes a letter to a church that is majorly made up of Gentiles. Now, a Gentile is someone who is not Jewish. In the worldview that uh, Peter was raised up in, there were two types of people. There were the Jewish people and the Gentiles. People who were from the people of Israel and people who were not. And so we need to understand as we unpack this letter today, A, that Peter's writing to people who are going through persecution and trials and tribulations. And we also need to understand that he's writing to this new church, this church of Gentiles. Okay, so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get one to you. Let us know. Tell us out at the hub. Give us a phone call. Email us. Text Whatever you want to do, we would love to get you a Bible. We feel that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and we want you to have access to one. So we want to give one to you for free. But 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of god once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy all right the truth of the matter is is that there is way too much in those verses to cover in one day and so we're going to try to get in as much as we can but honestly we could unpack that for several weeks And what you see in this passage, as we took a look at it, is that this passage is filled with this imagery, especially this imagery of stones. In fact, the imagery that Peter is using is imagery from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. In fact, Peter quotes throughout this, he quotes Psalms 118, verse 22. He quotes Isaiah 28, 16. He quotes Isaiah 13, 14. He alludes to the Exodus. He alludes to Hosea. Peter has just soaked this letter in Old Testament imagery. And as we look at this passage, as we look at these verses, we need to ask ourselves three questions. And here are the three questions. Ready? what does this teach me about Jesus? What does this teach me about the church? And what does this teach me about the mission of the church? What does this teach me about Jesus? What does this teach me about the church? What does this teach me about the mission of the church? All right, so what does this teach us about Jesus? Well, in order to unpack that, first we need to understand a little bit about how Peter thought. We need to get into the mind of the first century Jew. And what we need to understand is that they clung to a hope, they clung to a promise, and this was what they had. Their great hope was that the true God would return to Jerusalem to live forever in the temple. And in order for that to happen, the temple had to be rebuilt to a suitable status. So what does that have to do, about the, what does that have to do with the stone? Well, the tradition that they were hoping in was that once... The cornerstone, the rock, was found, then this could occur. You see, the temple had to be founded on the rock. It had to be founded on the cornerstone. And so the Jewish tradition said that when the right stone was located or revealed, the journey towards the building of the temple and the return of God would begin. Okay? So this is their tradition. This is what they're following. This is everything that they're hoping in here. Now, here's where it gets interesting. As they began to unpack this tradition, as they began to understand it, what many of the Jewish people began to understand was that the stone was not actually a physical stone, but in fact, a person. It was the coming king. It was a living stone. And this was certainly the way that the early Christians understood as well. Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the living stone by which God builds his temple. And here's the crazy part. We read in the, at the beginning that this stone was rejected by humanity. The stone that was rejected by humanity, God chooses as his cornerstone. The stone where all of humanity says, no thank you, God takes as precious and uses as the foundation of his new temple. And this is crazy. And this is a comfort as well. Remember who Peter is writing to. He's writing to a group of people who have been rejected by family, rejected by friends, rejected by government, rejected by their culture, and they're going through hardships because of that rejection. And what Peter begins to unpack is that they too are living stones. And when Peter does that, he gives them this new identity. Instead of being these social outcasts, their identity is rooted in being connected to the living stone. And as he unpacks that, as he begins to, to, to introduce the truths of this living stone, the truth of Jesus, what he begins to reveal is this unfailing relationship of God. He begins to reveal how God is expressing this unfailing relationship. And this unfailing relationship is expressed through Jesus, through the living stone. But what happens is, is that there are two responses That can only happen. There are only two responses that can happen in regards to Jesus. Only two responses that can happen to that living stone. For those that believe, the stone results uh, in salvation. For those who do not believe, who reject the stone, the stone leads to destruction. And so what do we learn about Jesus? What does this passage teach us about Jesus? Well, it teaches us that Jesus is the living stone. That he is the very foundation by which God fulfills his promise of an unfailing relationship. To those that accept Jesus, he is their salvation. To those who do not, he leads to their destruction. Which leads us to the next question. What does this teach us about the church? What does this teach us about the church? If, If Jesus is the living stone, if he is the stone that was rejected... And now is chosen as the cornerstone. What does this teach us about the church? Well, as we read in there, it says that those who accept Jesus also become like living stones. God is building his temple. God is building his place where he dwells. But he is no longer building a physical house in Jerusalem. But instead, God is building something new. He builds a spiritual house made of living stones around the world. What does that mean? All right, we're going to take away the imagery for a little bit. Okay, here's, here's what it means. The church is made of people. The church is made of people. Now, this building we're in, we call it church, as we should. If we look up the definition of church in the dictionary, you would get this definition of, the, of where we're in. But actually, this building is where the church gathers. It's where the church gathers on a Sunday. And we need to understand that the realization of the church is realized to its fullest potential when the church occurs in community. The church is made up of people. And the reason I think that we need to understand that concept of community is that our worldview, the way that we look at life, the way that we look at everything around us, is a little bit different from the way that the people who Peter was writing to looks at it. We, in our American culture, are very individualistic. The way that we approach life is in a very individual way. And so sometimes we approach the Bible in a similar way, where we just look at it as how it impacts us individually. For the people who Peter was writing to, their lives were actually done much more in community. And so the way that they understood how it impacted them individually was always in the context of how it impacted them in the community. You can't understand individual if you don't understand community. So I was trying to figure out, like, what, what's a picture that we could use to kind of, to, to kind of get that? What was, what was a picture to kind of understand just how it's individual and community? And I began to think about it, and I began to think about Legos. Legos. And before I tell you about Legos, I just need to acknowledge one thing. And I think that we all should just kind of acknowledge one thing today. One of the most excruciating physical pains <laughs> that you could ever experience is in the darkness of the middle of the night when you're walking barefoot and you step on a Lego. Is that not the worst? Like there's nothing that I know this is Mother's Day and this is pretty much sacrilegious what I'm saying right now, but the Lego, way worse than any other pain. Let me just tell you right now. (laughs) And with five kids, there's plenty of Legos around. As little minefields all over my house. And you know what would happen is that when I would just be sweeping like you normally would, I'd be sweeping, there would always be some Legos that I would sweep up into the dustpan. And it never failed. Every time there was these Legos in in the dustpan and I'm about to go and and empty it out into the trash can, some kid would come. It was like a radar. They would come like, what you doing? Well, I'm doing what you should be doing, but I'm going to be dumping this in the garbage. And they're like, no, you can't throw that out. I'm like, why not? That's my Lego. I'm like, it's just one little piece. No, 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 no. That piece is for my Lego Ninjago dragon set with Lego Batman that goes with Lego Star Wars. If you lose that piece, my piece, my playset is going to be incomplete. It's just a little piece of a Lego. No, 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 no. I need that in order for the whole playset to be complete. When it comes to living stones, each living stone is precious to God. Each person is precious to God. But they are precious in light of the grander masterpiece that God is building. He's building a new temple, and each living stone matters. But each living stone matters in the context of the community of the new temple of believers that God is building. You get that? And the reason we need to understand that is because there's some transformation that occurs in this chapter. There's these flipping of the scripts that occur in the chapter. And we need to understand them on an individual level, but we need to understand them on a community level. If we only approach them with a community mindset, we miss a little bit. If we only approach it in the individual mindset, we miss a little bit. And so I'm going to go through them right now. I'm just going to go really quick, give you some examples of what Peter's doing of this transformational work, and I want you to think through it in light of an individual side of how it impacts yourself, but also in light of the church and how it impacts the community of the church, okay? So here's where we go. Peter begins to talk about Christians and says they are called out of darkness into light. He says they were not God's people, but now they are made God's people. They were insignificant and even rejected. Now they become significant and chosen. Where life was lived without mercy, mercy has now entered. Over and over again, the script is flipped. And that is for each one of us and all of us. Let that settle in a little bit. Because what Peter does as he continues on is he uses this radical term for the church. He uses this radical term for what he's describing the church as. He calls them a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. In the Judaic culture, the highest roles that you could have were king and priest, king and priest. And you didn't earn those roles by your abilities. They were inherited. A father would pass on the kingdom to his son. A father would pass on the priesthood to his son. And it would be passed on as an inheritance. What Peter is doing is assigning those two highest roles to everyone to the totality of the church. That's radical. That's radical. And this is huge. The entire church is granted this status of royal priesthood through Jesus. You see, the house of God isn't just formed from the living stones, but it's also formed by the royal priesthood that serves in it. These two images of living stones and royal priesthood are Old, Old Testament imagery, but new in how Peter is expressing it and how God is building his temple. So what have we learned so far? Well, what does this passage teach us about the church? Well, it teaches us that Jesus is the living stone. He is the cornerstone that God builds his church. He was the stone that was rejected, but is chosen by God to be the foundation of his church for those who believe he leads to salvation, for those who do not believe it leads to destruction. What does it teach us about the church? Well, it teaches us that those who accept Jesus become living stones themselves, that the, God built his new temple, not as a physical one in Jerusalem, but instead a spiritual one made of living stones around the world, that the church is made of people. And not only is it made of people, these people serve and execute the life of a royal priesthood in that temple. We have to understand that. We have to understand that because when we are anchored in the truth of who Jesus is and we are anchored in the truth of, of who the church is, then we are able to live out the commands of the rest of the letter. Because we are left with a third and final question. What is this teach us about the mission of the church? What does this passage teach us about the mission of the church? Well, let's take a look. What, what are some things that we see in here? Well, as we look in it, we see um, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable God through Jesus Christ. You our royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do we live out those those actions? What does that look like in our everyday life? There's a theologian, a biblical scholar, his name is Scott McKnight, and this is how he words it. Scott McKnight says that the church's mission is to bring glory to God to evangelize the world, and to edify believers. When he looks at this passage, when he looks at what is being told to the church, he says that the mission is to bring glory to God, to evangelize the world, and to edify believers. If we accept what Scott McKnight is saying, if we accept his interpretation of this, then what we need to understand is that the mission of the church has three focuses of direction. And here they are. The mission of the church focuses upwards, outwards, and inwards. It focuses upwards, outwards, and inwards. It focuses upwards. It stares straight at the Lord our God and glorifies Him. It looks outwards and goes to live out the commands that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples, to go into the world and be His witnesses. And it looks inward. And we look in how they will know we are Christians by our love and how we care and encourage our community each other. Upwards, outwards, inwards. But that shouldn't sound that abnormal to you, actually. If you've been attending Calvary Church or if you've been here for a little bit, that shouldn't sound abnormal because our mission at Calvary Church is to continue what Jesus started. And we do that by living lives of connect and impact. And what do we say? As we connect with God and he impacts our lives, we are then to connect with others and impact the lives of others. Connect and impact is expressed through upwards, outwards, inward. Upwards, outwards, inwards. So what do we do with that? What are we going to do with that? Well, this week, I want you to focus on the direction Focus on upwards. Focus on outwards. Focus on inward. Maybe you need to focus on your relationship with God. Maybe you need to focus on just spending some time with you and God. Spending some time reading God's Word. Spending some time in prayer. Maybe you need to spend some time just kind of focusing on Him. Pick upwards. Maybe you need to focus on outwards. Maybe you need to go and invite a neighbor over for dinner. Maybe you need to uh, just encourage the community around you. You know, it was Teacher Appreciation Week. If you missed it, maybe you need to go and encourage some of the people who have been having such a hard time in our school systems. Maybe you need to go and encourage some of our first responders, whether it's uh, people who are on the ambulances or a police department or our firefighters. Maybe you need to encourage our community around us and focus outwards. Maybe you need to focus inward. Maybe you need to encourage those around you right now. Maybe you need to send an encouraging text to someone. Maybe you need to make a meal for someone. You know, I'm going to give you an extra credit real quick, an extra credit assignment. I happen to work with a lot of people who could use encouragement. My extra credit assignment is go through the staff directory. Go ahead and send them an encouraging email. Don't send it to me because if you send it to me, you just flunk. Okay? But extra credit, send it to someone on staff. And don't tell them I said it, okay? They don't listen to me anyway, so they'll never know. Send an encouraging note to one, someone on the staff. Encourage one another. Look around you. Look around you. Is there someone that God's leading on your heart to just pray for? Upwards, outwards, inwards. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you stink at all three. Go for the trifecta. One week upwards, one week outward, one week inward. You got it? Jesus is the living stone that sets the foundation of the living church. As a living church, let's go out and live on mission this week. Let's be the living church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. And we thank you that you have chosen us that while we may live lives that we feel rejection or outcast or kind of separated from others, you have said, you're the one I want. You're precious to me. Help us to realize that both individually and corporately as a church. Help us to live out the mission of the church And as we do that, I ask you that you would show up in amazing ways and impact the community around us. That lives will be changed by the gospel and that things would never be the same. We just thank you and we praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.